I believe in quick returns. I believe in use cases that are very sharp and solving a concrete problem because then you have also the support of the, of the employees and the chopper workers that would like to reduce that pain or get rid of that pain. You are listening to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. The manufacturing sector is evolving and the work that happens on the front line is the key to driving future readiness. On each episode, we bring you conversations with global leaders in industrial companies. Our goal is to discuss trends, stories and people in digital manufacturing and offer the latest insight into solutions. Subscribe and be sure to check out our website for more resources at operationsone.com. I'm your podcast host, Benjamin Brockman. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence, and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information. Hi Jürgen, welcome to the Future Proof Operations Podcast. Hi Benjamin, it's a pleasure to be here and thank you very much for your invitation. Jürgen, could you give me a 60 seconds overview of who you are and what you are doing? Sure, with pleasure. Yeah, I've been a member of uh, Travel's uh, Industry Expert Advisory Board for four years now and since uh, February this year I've been a member of Travel's Executive Board as a Chief Growth Officer. Prior to that, I was an entrepreneur and management consultant and for more than 10 years, quite a long time, and mainly in the area of business process re-engineering for manufacturing companies as well as in the turnaround sector. For the last 10 years, I was a member of various executive boards at uh, mainly software tech companies as executive board member or respectively CEO or commercial officer responsible for corporate development strategy, growth, and internationalization. Professional background, um, I'm an engineer by profession, communication, precision engineering. And at the end of the day, I'm uh, passionate about technology, cars, and the latest software development trends, especially in the field of AI, which is uh, literally catapults humanity into new areas. Jürgen, you mentioned AI. Help us to understand which role does AI play nowadays in factories? It depends, actually, from industry and, and, and also from most of the use cases. Um, so according to the, the IBM Global AI Adoption Index, which was released in May this year, as of today, only 35% of the companies globally reported the use of AI in their business. Of course, additionally, uh, 42% reported that they are exploring AI. So the good news is that the exploration and the adoption of AI is, of course, steadily growing, but we are still at the beginning. There is also a trend in the adoption. So most of the use cases and the highest adoption rates are in the IT departments themselves, since here not only the use cases are mainly defined by repetitive and recurring tasks, uh, which can be automated, like network performance management, business process management, or IT operations, but also the knowledge is available. But there's also for other industries a clear trend, but it's, it's also due to the macroeconomic changes that we can see at the moment, climate change, energy changes, uh, conflicts or world supply chain issues, that 66% of the companies are either using 
the AI or planning to, to execute AI to address their so sustainability goals. So there is a trend that more and more companies are, are trying to adopt AI, but the focus is most of the cases in automating IT tasks or repetitive tasks. But the good news is also that the more and more trends upcoming in the areas of cost savings, energy savings, and efficiency increases. In the industrial environment, to be honest, the adoption rate is not that high. So the most AI applications are found in the automotive industry or assembling industry, with, I think, an adoption rate of 26% in manufacturing. And of course, in the process industries like uh, CPG or uh, healthcare or pharmaceuticals, for example, optical quality control um, with a high frequency rate in high productivity environments or uh, beverage filling lines and the food industry. So the most frequently used use cases, and of course, in many mechanical and plant engineering, you see also the adoption of predictive maintenance, quite common. And AI is there used for increase of OEE. But in, as I said, in general, we, we're at the beginning of the adoption of AI. The reluctance and resistance is still very high in some cases, as there are hardly any ready-to-use products, AI products available. An average with a traditional AI project, a project still takes between 18 and 24 months. When you talk about the specific use cases and industries, I know that your company Twaret is focusing on foundry these days. Are those companies innovative ones? A few ones, yes. <laughs> the topic here is the process itself of, of casting is very complex. So the reluctance and resistance to believe that a technology can be as equal good as a, a human expert with uh, 30, 40 years experience is quite high. Because of the complexity of the process, you have to imagine that influencing factors, for example, on the quality could raise up to 30, 40 or 60 parameters, depending on the production processes. So that means we have trillions of combinations that can influence the quality. So therefore, the missing knowledge about technology like AI, plus this complex um, production process leads to a situation where most of the companies do not really think and believe that AI can solve or help them, actually. In which industries do you see the biggest progress in AI? At the moment, definitely in the automotive industry, the um, consumer goods industry. They are really driving the adoption of AI. And we see that more and more use cases are also dripping into in the industries like also foundries or in general, metal working industries like picking assistants, um, picking guides or whatever, or quality assurance, for example. So the topic in, in the industry is that the more focused and more precise the use case for an AI application is, the better it is. And also the higher acceptance and understanding of that application is guaranteed. Jürgen, your vision is manufacturing with zero waste and full sustainability. How is that related to AI? Well, as I said, the, especially for the foundries in the industry, for many, many years, they were on a, on a point where they had a continuous improvement programs running. So the industry was uh, facing all the years uh, cost pressures, mainly for coming from the automotive industry, which serves for 80% of their clients. 
And so therefore, the pressure to be more efficient, be more cost efficient, to be more stable also in terms of the process capabilities leads to a continuous improvement of the, of the production processes. But as I said, due to the complexity of the process, there is still a missing gap of optimization potential, which could not be encountered and developed just with human expertise because of the complexity of the combination and varieties of the influencing factors. So there's a natural, let's say, level which could not be overstepped with human expertise. By that, we see the huge potential, especially in those industries where you have a very energy-intensive production, like foundries or metalworking, to reduce really any kind of waste which still exists, which is untouched at the moment because of the possibilities, the lacking of possibilities, and to drive a whole industry towards zero-waste and complete sustainability by empowering and unlocking the potentials which are untouched at the moment. Okay, understood. Help us to understand how a project at Tvaret usually looks like. So if I would like to go to full sustainability, I would like to have zero waste. This is the vision from my point of view when I'm, for example, a factory boss and I am contacting you. Which steps do I have to go together with you to take the advantage of the technology like AI? So first of all, what we should mention at that point is that Travit is one of the only provider that provides ready-to-use products. As I mentioned before, the traditional AI products are very complex and, and costly. So we try to implement most of the domain-specific knowledge for vertical industries like foundries, like microworking in the product. So we are able to ramp up an, an AI solution in use case, for example, prescriptive maintenance or in terms of OE increase or reduction of rejects or reduction of energy waste within two to three months. That means, of course, we need an, an infrastructure that is able to provide us the according data. That means we need to have a connectivity base, a data layer in order to get all the parameter and data points from the machines and then the, the process lines. But as long as we have that, we are able to train just a, a small set of data within three to four weeks and provide the first results within the next four weeks of adoption. That is possible because we have implemented a lot of domain-specific knowledge and production knowledge within specific products, which are industry-specific developed. Since you are talking about data, so as I understand, if I want to work with AI, I need a lot of data initially. And help me to understand how you gather the data. If I am in a factory and there's no data gathering at all, do I need to buy software beforehand? Do I need to buy sensors beforehand? How is that process looking like? So what we do usually, we do an assessment beforehand with a, with a client. We come first of all from the process and the problem statement. So that means, for example, if we would to like to reduce the energy consumption per produced part, or we would like to reduce the, the scrap rate, um, the rejection rate, we're coming from that problem statement and evaluate the influencing factors on that certain process and parameter environment. So that means, given on that parameter and influencing factors, we evaluate 
the existing datas at the client, at the plant, which are available or which can be extracted. Meaning by connecting, for example, directly to the machine, we can also connect directly data that is at the moment not collected, but available. The third level is, of course, data which is not available at all, meaning there is no sensor hardware equipment installed. Therefore, we have partners um, along with us that supports very quickly the, the provisioning of additional hardware sensors and, of course, connectivity solutions like IoT layers or whatever in order to provide also a further scale-out possibility on a plane-wide rollout. And how do the next steps look like? So if you know AI a little bit, like I'm doing it, I know that you need the data and then you have to train the models. And with the trained models, you can then get the insights out of it. Do you have to train the models together with your client or do you use your pre-built models? And how do the takeaways or the insights look like afterwards? So first of all, what we have is predefined and pre-trained models in our products. That's why for certain verticals or for different industries, dedicated products because of the inbuilt domain knowledge and the pre-trained models. That's also the reason why we are creating results within two to three months. So the training effort is extremely low. As I said, between three to four weeks, depending on the process. And of course, of the, the uh, production volume, we need, of course, something between 3,000 and 5,000 parts in this duration. Not a huge amount, talking not about huge millions of data sets, but we need, of course, a certain amount of, of data. And then the model is, of course, self-learning and adjusting over a period of time. So the longer the client is using the algorithm, the, the more precise it gets. But we have also a specific patent, which is unique to Chwarit, that is called hybrid AI. And um, by that, we combine physical simulation with AI which is very unique and, and, as I said, patented from our side, in order to eliminate the lack of data points. Because you cannot, you cannot measure, for example, certification by a melted cost. So you need a different data points and different information source for including that physical behavior in production environments. And that's why we combine physical simulation and calculation and enrich our data models with that physical simulation and overcome by that the lack of data, which are, of course are not present. So let's switch to the insights which you are gathering for the clients. I assume, especially in times of high cost of energy nowadays, the return on investment is pretty clear. But what typical effects do your clients realize? And follow-up question, what is the investment to achieve that? So first of all, they start to try to implement energy management at all, but they realize that an over, overall energy management over the plan is not sufficient at the moment because we're talking about such a pressure on reducing energy, which, is, which was never the case in, in history so far. So the, the companies are really not aware of the details that also the information benefits that they gain out of the data which we extract in the overall the whole process chain so the first effect that they recognize is that actually they see a lot of optimization portals for example i give you an example idle time of machines 
everybody is aware of idling the machines, but how much energy is really wasted by idling machines? Nobody can really calculate it or have a clue about it, actually. So by having a whole transparency about every waste of energy that occurs within the production process is getting a huge potential of energy savings. For example, in some cases, we achieve 30% of energy reduction just in the first three months. So that gives you a glimpse of that potential that is untouched at the moment, mainly because of the lack of visibility and transparency. And to your second question. What is the investment looking like? So we charge uh, 1,200 euros um, as a SaaS fee, and that's the whole investment for the first machine. And if we go on a scale-up, then we charge additional 800 euros for the next machine and 400 for on the same machine, another product, in order to be very scalable, because uh, we can provide that very efficient pricing, because we do not have to reinvent all the, the algorithms and AI models and machine because we have developed a technology it's called transfer learning that is able to just, let's say, copy and paste the models to different machines and different products or geometries that enables a very efficient scaling with a third of the time and the data. So basically, it's a SaaS model, which comes with a very, very clear model of pricing per machine and product. Jürgen, as a Tvaret customer, how long does it usually take to get the investment back? An average, uh, less than six months. So depending on, uh, of course, the use case, so the problem statement we're talking about, and accordingly also the investment that is needed in terms of, as we discussed, the missing data points, so hardware, equipment, and all this stuff. But we've never seen an, an ROI that was uh, longer than one year. So uh, usually in average, we have six months of ROI. This is a very good number. Since you talked already about the example case, could you give us another case study, another example case where the whole implementation worked pretty well? And could you describe it in a little more detail? So especially when it comes about the savings and yeah, the cost. Maybe some example from the energy environment. We have a huge client in the area of low pressure die casting. And at one plant, we started to have the energy reduction project in October. We started to implement it also some more energy meters because of the, as I said, missing capabilities on machine level to really measure the energy or the consumption of energy power current on machine level. Usually what clients have is uh, energy management in best cases on plant level. So the investment there was besides the connectivity area in into energy meters, we're talking about not even 200k of investment. And we were um, establishing the connection in within uh, two weeks to the first production line. It was a costing line. And this costing line was responsible for almost a fourth of the whole energy consumption of the whole production line. And um, the first um, analysis showed a very huge deviation of energy consumption per cost of product. That means, especially when you cost, you have a, a heater where the melted uh, metal is uh, maintained in the, in the temperature window. And the given maximum power consumption of the heater was uh, 35 kilowatt. 
but we observed that actually the heater was going up to 42, 43 kilowatt. So over the standard consumption of energy. So there was obviously a problem with the controller of the heater. And furthermore, what we observed is that the current within the heater element was extremely high and and fluctuation. So there was an observation that this heat element was corrupt and damaged. And so there was a a huge loss of current and power in the heat element. The data points that we used were, I think, just on that cost line, 80 data points per uh, machine. So in total, I think 800 to 1,000 data points per second that we gathered in the technology. And there was also some information about, for example, the cooling, because we measured the flow of the air that is used to cool the mold. And we observed that there's a fluctuation of air leakage over a huge amount. So in total, our prescriptions, by the way, this is a differentiation also, we do not only identify the reasons or the areas of improvements and predict them, we also prescribe countermeasures or parameter set points that leads to an optimum operation or leads to a reduction of the waste that occurs, for example, the leakage. So we identified, for example, the area of the leakage because of the different sensor and flow sensors that we are able to integrate it. And we prescribe the countermeasures, uh, for example, also for the heater control, that there must be a wrong or damaged control on the heater. So we give the workers precise information, what to do, where to look after, and how to fix the, the missing or the leakage or the errors that, that we identified. And by that, we achieved in the first uh, two months 17% of energy reduction. And in the second iteration, two months later, another 12%. So in, in total, or 13%. So in roughly 30% energy reduction in uh, three months. Very, very good numbers. And you already talked about workers. And I find that a great segue to focus on the workers and the people in the businesses a little bit more. My first question is going in the direction of the people which are working in a company that is implementing your technology. And I understood that AI is one of the core technologies, leveraging everything you will set, basically. How important is it for companies to build internal AI capabilities? So how important is it to have knowledge about AI internally as well, even if you are supporting them as a consultant or with your software? In our case, it is not necessary to build in-house AI knowledge. First of all, it's, it's very difficult to find appropriate AI skills or to even build up intelligence about this technology in-house. But even more, what we try to do is to abstract the, the, the technology. So it's not important if the core technology is AI or deep learning. It's not relevant. The relevant factor is that we create values, that we create a benefit for the workers, that we create a, a values for the company, and that the technology is serving the people, the humans. That means we need to set, of course, 
a technology into place that is capable to, to deliver those results and then create a, those values. But it doesn't matter at the end of the day if it's a, a software that is coded or is it a, a software that is based on AI or whatever technology. So what we try to do is to abstract the technology layer and to provide an easy-to-use tool that is also from a, from a UI perspective optimized to the workers. So a workers or a shop floor centric UI that is also not increasing the barriers of acceptance, but lowering more the use of the, such a technology because the workers do not have the, the resistance in order to have a complicated software. They feel comfortable with it and they see the results. So the acceptance and adoption rate increases by make it easy, comfortable, and um, very intuitive. So you say the IT department, for example, does not need to have AI capabilities. You have that capabilities and you bring it in. Then you already mentioned the workers in the shop floor. So let's talk about them. In our preparation call in front of the podcast, we had already a conversation about AI and worker empowerment. And you said AI on the shop floor can't work without worker empowerment. True. Why is that? What is the reason behind it? First of all, as I said, the technology must serve the humans. So technology must empower humanity and, and empower them and enhance or augment the workers. And secondly, we must create values. And by creating values, you need the workers because AI will not replace the workers or the people in the shop floor but they are getting digital augmented or empowered by such a technology. Second, it's all about also about integration and acceptance, as I said. If it's easy to use, if it's intuitive, like the first iPhone, it was intuitive, everybody could use it, even my mother now has an iPhone, right? And she's over 70. So people get accommodated with easy to use tools, even if they do not know how it works. And what's behind? So using Siri, for example. And the third one is uh, the most important topic for me is knowledge preservation and empowerment of less skilled people. The first topic of knowledge preservation is very, very critical for most of our clients because they do not get new young talents onboarded as much as they need it and even more they see a knowledge drains by retiring experts in the next couple of years. So knowledge is being drained out of companies in a huge amount. And that knowledge was collected over 30, 40 years. Now, what do you do if you do not have on one side, you do not have the talents that come to your company on board as much as you need. And on second, the knowledge get drained and lost because of retirement and also changes in, in jobs. So you need to preserve the knowledge inside your company, especially when you have such very complex technologies and processes like in the costing, where you need many, many years of experience to actually maintain and manage a costing process on the expert level. So technology is there to provide an answer. On one hand, to preserve knowledge, keep the knowledge into the company, but also function as an empowerment for less skilled workers because the lack of, of hiring 
or the, the hiring problematic in every industry is leading to people who are less trained or less experienced. When I talk with leaders of manufacturing companies, I oftentimes see that they have a specific roadmap for digitalization, for example, on the one side, and they have some other items which are connected to worker empowerment, how they want to empower their workers. And I oftentimes see it that the two directions are not connected. So for them, it's two topics, but they are not connected. What is your experience when you talk with leads, with customers? Do they already get the point which you mentioned that you need to connect it? When we mentioned that in the discussions, yes, they will recognize it immediately. And they themselves have, due to the amount of challenges that they have to deal with, it's not obvious that most of the challenges are interconnected or also are belonging each other. For example, you need experts to optimize your cost structure or to optimize your efficiency. And then when you talk about experts and hiring and knowledge preservation, then of course, it people say, oh, well, my experts are lacking and I do not get the talents as much as I need. And then, then they have a problem with it in a few years when my, my experts are, are retired. So yes, you're right. In most cases, it's not all times connected. But if you start this discussion and put, let's say, the open lines together and the open items, then there's a red line appearing. And then they will recognize that they have to connect the empowerment of the workers with their actual initiatives of cost savings or whatever. Jürgen, this is super interesting and we could talk even uh, longer right now, but we are coming to the last question. So my question at the end is, assume you are the CIO of a manufacturing company. And this company is a little bit old-fashioned, so there's not much digitalization happening in the shop floor. You have an ERP system, but nothing more. A lot of paper in the shop floor. And you want to start the transformation right now. You want to make it future-proof. Which topic do you put on the agenda right now? So first of all, I would always start use case specific digitalization approaches so i would not start with a big bang for example start with the whole digitalization topics or whatever look for pain points look for use cases that are really pressuring um, in terms of cost energy efficiency whatever and those as i said most of the cases are also linked to knowledge preservation operations uh, topics that are linked to where do I keep my knowledge in-house and how and what I do when, when the people are leaving, how much effort it, it takes to train new people. So coming from these pain points is, first of all, the best advice I can give from my perspective. And then create a roadmap around those use cases and pain points that creates a red line. For example, also in terms of the digitalization on the shop floor, the machines, that needs to connect it. You should always go step by step with small use cases in order to provide an instant ROI because it does not make sense to create a whole architecture and blueprint and whatever with a huge investments with a payback in five to 10 years. I believe in quick returns. I believe in use cases that are very sharp and solving a concrete problem because then you have also the support of the, of the employees and the shop floor workers that 
would like to reduce that pain or get rid of that pain. Jürgen, it was a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks a lot, uh, Benjamin. It was a great pleasure for me. It was very interesting and a great honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening and we hope you found this episode valuable. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. You can find more information and resources at operationsone.com. This episode is brought to you by Operations One. Operations One is the leading platform to bring operations to a new level of excellence. By supporting frontline operations from planning to execution to analytics, companies benefit from an empowered workforce, increased operational excellence, and future-proof operations. Visit operationsone.com for more information.